Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And hello to anyone who might be joining via the Temple Beth Am podcast and listening uh, asynchronously. We are in chapter 7 of the book of Exodus, book of Shemot, where uh, did one of two Rashis on the first verse of that chapter. Um, let's read the verse again. Uh, I'll paraphrase the Rashi, and then we'll look at the second Rashi. Okay? Uh, Stuart, you, you see where we are? Okay. So it's okay. I apologize. Joel will help you. Okay. Chapter 7, verse 1. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe, God said to Moshe, Re'eh, look, netaticha Elohim lefaro. Right, we dealt with this a lot last week. Something like, I have placed you as, weird to say, a God with respect to Pharaoh, or as Rashi uh, said in this first comment, having dominion over him. And Rashi makes uh, a reference to that the word Elohim as Rashi did earlier on in the Torah, in chapter 6 of Reshit, that the word doesn't necessarily only mean divinity, but rather um, having power and authority over someone. So I'm going to place you in a position of authority with respect to Pharaoh. The Aharon, Achicha, Aaron, your brother, Hiye, Neviecha, will be your prophet, right? And so you can imagine the question someone asks is, how are we supposed to understand the word Navi here? Are we, is God really saying that Aaron is a prophet, and if Aaron is a prophet, is Aaron Moshe's prophet? Or, leading the, I'm leading the witness here a little bit, is there another way of understanding the meaning of the word that is not about prophecy, or at least not the way we use the English word prophecy, right? Once again, we have translation issues, right? So we translate the word Navi Hebrew into prophet English. There's no better individual word to translate it into, but it doesn't mean what we think of when we hear the word prophet is what they thought of when they heard the word Navi back then. So that's where we got to, and we're about to read the Rashi on Ye Neviacha. Everyone with me? No. Okay. Uh, Larry, do you want to start? Um, the Rashi. Yeah, the Rashi on Ye on Yehiye Neviacha, that he will be your Navi. Oh, we need to give you a microphone, sorry. Okay, Yeneviecha, ki tagumo mitur gimanach. And we actually looked at this last week. We actually read the Unculus, right? So the first thing that Rashi says, you, you who've been studying for a bit understand this terminology. When Rashi says kitargumo, as it is translated, he's referring specifically to the translation of Unculus. And Unculus translated the word neviecha not into the Aramaic word for your prophet, but an Aramaic word for your, your trans translator, right? What do, what do we think the word trans, like, <laughs> meta, how are we translating the word your translator here? What does that mean, your translator? Well, uh, yeah, if you get a microphone. Like, wh what do we think Rashi thinks Unculus means when he says the word Nebiecha does not mean your prophet, but your translator? Joel? My book says that in Talmudic times, Mitur Gaman is somebody is a loud voice student who would repeat the lectures of the Rosh Yeshiva whose voice did not carry through the Midrash. Right. The more common, if people have heard the word Maturgamon before, you might have heard it with respect to how Torah reading was done in the ancient world, right? So imagine Shabbat morning, you come to shul, and instead of 
having the Torah reader read in Hebrew, and you can follow along at Eitz Chaim Chumash, verse by verse, you had someone doing an in real time translation into your lingua franca, right? That's how, trans that's how it was understood um, before. And even there, we translate, haha, that word as translator, but it really meant <clears throat> interpreter, explicator, like rendering it in a way that you could make sense of it, but not necessarily pure raw translation. Diane and then Barry? So I don't know if you're aware, but Key and Peel did this very funny routine where um, um, they're comedians, and yeah. they do this thing called Obama's Anger Translator, where Obama, who never raised his voice and always spoke very softly, and I don't remember who was who, but... Jordan, um, Jordan Peel was Obama and... and, and uh, Keegan-Michael Key was... Right, and he would, you know get all excited and so that's the image I have of, of a trans a translator actually rendering it the way you really should try to hear right. it this is what he this, really is what, this is what he really meant He's, this is what he said but this is what he right, really right. meant very good Barry so I, I have the, the word here is an interpreter and um, it, I'm thinking of what a Navi is um, in Navi receives word from God which is inexorable to us, uh, and the, the Navi then takes that message and makes it so we hear it. Good, and and the, and that allows us to interrogate what we think the word prophet means. When we use the word prophet, do we think that that person is endowed with some kind of superhuman, semi-divine individual power, or is this person a prophet in that this person is hearing the word of God unadulterated and passing it along? is the person doing some kind of a tirgum, some kind of a, a translation, right? When we call Jeremiah a prophet, are we saying something about him, his ability, his insight, or just is he just a conduit from God, right? So we use the word nevi'im a lot, but we don't necessarily interrogate what we think the word means, and Rashi is about to interrogate it on a linguistic level, right? After first telling us, don't think that God is saying to Moshe, that Aaron is going to be to you the way you, Moshe, are to the people, right? Not prophecy, but kind of an interpreter, right? And interpreting to whom? No, to Pharaoh. I think to Pharaoh, right? That um, if you look at the verse, I'm placing you, Moshe, as some kind of a authority figure to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your Navi in your dealings with Pharaoh. Now, there's an obvious and maybe some less obvious answer to the question. Why would Moshe need a Navi here if Navi doesn't mean prophet but a Meturgaman? He doesn't speak well. Right? So this is maybe like you, you are going to walk into the room and because you are you, you're representing me and you're going to be godlike or, author, or authoritative. But I'm not expecting you to be the orator, right? And we've seen versions before. Aaron is going to be the one who's going to transpose all of your divine power into something that Pharaoh will understand. Larry? It's a stretch, but it could also be Aaron lived in Egypt all of his life, and Moses left as a young man. And maybe, Sorry, go ahead. Maybe he learned to speak whatever language is being spoken in Moab, and so he actually wasn't up with vernacular. Hmm. That, that Moshe was not, because he'd spent right. all this time in Midian. So he would, he would actually need a translator, kind of the way that Diane and I sometimes need translators from being away out of the country so long, and we find that we don't know what certain words mean. Interesting. Good. Uh, Joanne, I see your hand up. Um, 
if you know we had come to this verse without four chapter four verse um tetzine, verse 17 like the use of navi would have been very like surprising but after 417, and in fact, in an Ein Mukdam Mukhar kind of way, there's, you know, no forwards and backwards earlier or later in the Torah, I would have loved those two verses to be juxtaposed because in 417, we read, So 417, described Moshe as Elohim, and we spent a lot of time overcoming that word usage there. And I think the strategy here is not all that different than what we did in 417. Yeah, good. Interesting. My oh. least I'm looking at it right now has that as 416. It is 416, correct. Yes. Um, I thought uh, maybe, maybe there's a discrepancy. Right, so if, you, if everyone who should be able to look back on that because you have the Book of Shemot in front of you, um, this, this is burning bush still. This is the first time God is really revealing to Moshe what's going to happen. And some of the similar words are used, but it's really speaking about the relationship between Moshe and Aaron, not how either of them is going to right, present to Pharaoh. And as Joanna said, that in this situation, what, what Aaron is going to be is to you a mouth. So if that's comparable, right? And that's actually going to set up Rashi very well in a second. God says to Moshe, Aaron is going to be to you as a peh, as a mouth, right? So peh in verse four, in uh, 4.16 sort of is a parallel to navi in our verse. Va'ata tielole Elohim. And you're going to be not to Pharaoh, but to um, Aaron, the, the person representing my will my will, the person representing authority. So you're right, we've already used those terms and carry that over of, of, of um, Aaron being referred to as a mouth, a mouthpiece to what Rashi is about to say in our verse. So thank you for that um, segue. Back to you. But, and I think also it's quite lovely, the setup of, you know, the comparison to Moshe is Elohim and Aharon is the Navi. Like, let's not take those words too literally, but look at how the relationship is being set up by the use of those words. Very good, right? So we should neither take the words too literally nor not take in the power and the significance of those words being used here when it could have been other words. Leonard, Rebecca? Uh, yeah. If you look at this feedback, if you look at the... Uh, Uncle was, he also uses the trigger name of love on 417, 416. For Peh? Peh, he translates as and as well. Very good. So, so he is, so Uncle is consistent in terms of what he thinks the verses mean, even though he's translating different words uh, into Maturgamon from that verse or this verse. I'm so sorry that you're getting that feedback. Uh, Joanna, were you getting it also when you were speaking? Maybe she's not hearing me. I don't know, I don't know why that's the case, but I feel bad. I know it's very frustrating to try to, try to talk when you're hearing yourself rever reverberating back to you. So I don't know how to fix it, but I, I, am, I empathize. Okay. Uh, yes, Barry. Joanna, thank you very much for bringing attention to uh, 417, 416. Uh, interesting there is, uh, uh, 
So uh, God would not, not only be uh, uh, to uh, Moshe's mouth, but God would also be to Aaron's mouth. So it's not, not just Moshe telling Aaron what to say, and Aaron repeats what Moshe says, but God has a direct connection to what Aaron's going to say. Yeah, good. Um, let's go back to our Rashi. Larry, pick up after Metur uh, Gemanach. I will. I just want to make one comment. Or I will. Arya Kaplan says, and I don't think anyone has said this, but if, if they did, I missed it. Um, he, he says, or spokesman. Hmm. So maybe Aaron is a spokesman like the porte-parole, or how do you say spokesman in Hebrew? I forget. Dover. Is it just Dover? I mean, Dover Tzahal is the army right, spokesman. Right, Dover, yeah, yeah. right. Arya Kaplan translates Neviacha as spokesman. No, he actually he has it as prophets, and he has a note that says or spokesman, uh -huh. and then he says that comes from the targum. So I'm not sure which targum he's talking about. Well, I think that's Arya Kaplan's rendering of Uncleus's Maturgmanach, right? That, right. And, and and reminding us that again, it's going to sound funny. It's not, you don't have to only translate Maturgmanach as translator, right? It could also be the one who's who, who's 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 doing the speaking or who's rendering what has been read into something, um, uh, something directly spoken. Uh, we looked at it last week. I'm just reminding myself how Ever Fox actually translates uh, this verse. He says, um, see, I will make you as a god, that's Elohim for Pharaoh, and, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. So he goes directly to what the uh, Hebrew seems to suggest, which is not necessarily the only way of reading it. Okay, let me just see someone put something in the chat. Oh, you're hearing feedback. I'm so sorry. Uh, that's what Joanna said. Okay, let's continue the next ver uh, the next Rashi. V'chein? V'chein kol ha'shon nevoah, adam ha-machriz u-mashmiah la'am divrei tochachot. Okay. So, and thus, all the language of nevoah, I guess it means every time we talk about nevoah, um, adam ha-machriz, uh, mach, it's machriz, not michraz. Correct. They, they, the, the person, the man who announces and who speaks um, to the people, um, um, I guess, speaks words of um, curses. Or, or rebuke, right? Rebu uh, rebuke, okay. Right. Right. So first of all, the word kol is really interesting. Rashi is, is not just saying, it's a little bit different than what we were saying before. He's not saying, yeah, I know you think what the word Navi means prophet, but that's not what it means here. It means, quote unquote, just a spokesman. He's saying, you, reader, are misunderstanding the word completely. And I know you're misunderstanding it because it's a common mis misperception. Don't read Navi. And again, it's hard to do this in English because he was probably doing it in his head in French. Don't, don't read the word Navi, whatever the medieval word is for prophet. Actually, the word means something very, very specific. It means a human, Adam, Hamachriz, who publicly proclaims, Umashmia. Mashmia is the he feel of Shama, so to make something be heard, right? So to, oh. to um, declare, to declaim to the people, specifically words of rebuke. And why is that um, particularly appropriate in, uh, for Rashi to say it in terms of the way Navi is being used in this verse? Because it's exactly what's going to happen, right? That it's not just that that Aaron is like translating banals that Moses doesn't know how to say well. 
he is serving as an avita Pharaoh and is going to bring down the rebuke for Pharaoh not doing what God wants him to do, which is exactly what Jeremiah does and exactly what Isaiah does. So Rashi is saying that's actually what the word Navi means, and now he's going to tell us why he thinks it means that etymologically. Who? Ah, okay. Who um, megizrat niv shvatayim? Svatayim. Svatayim. Sorry. Okay, so translate that. Um, and it's. Gizra to Rashi is Shoresh to us. Ah, Shoresh. Okay. It, yeah. So it's so it's okay. So it's it's root or origin, in, and then Neve Sefatayim. I guess Neve is here, prophet of the lips. Okay. So let's we're going to look at a couple of um, verses here. I'm going to bring it onto the screen. Okay. So Rashi is going to give us a couple of places, where the word that he thinks is the root word of the word Navi is used. Right. So you may or may not have thought about this before. Like, why does, why does the word Navi mean what it means? Whether you think it means prophet or something else, what, what, what do the letters uh, denote? And, the, and he pulls, Rashi pulls from Navi, Nun Bet, or Nun Yud Bet, suggesting that the ending Yud Aleph of Navi is like something that has been done to the word, but we're really talking about the sound Niv, right? Or Nuv. And he brings us to a couple of places. The first, is chapter 57 of haha the navi isaiah right so isaiah is prophesying probably there are probably two different isaiahs prophesying at different times maybe even three depending on what scholarship you believe um and 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 either anticipating or also reacting to destruction um in jerusalem and the context here is is god describing through isaiah what happens when someone does tshuva when someone does repentance, and Isaiah wants not an individual to repentance, but a nation to repent, according to Isaiah, there's a transformation. So look at verse 18. Drachav ra'iti ve'er pa'ehu. Yeah, on the screen, I mean. Uh, if you're in the room, just read the screen. Um, that I, I, I've noted their ways, ve'er pa'ehu, and I will, I will heal them. Ve'anchehu, I'm going to guide them. Ve'ashalem dichumim. I'm going to pay back comfort to them because they have done what they're supposed to do and um, transform themselves. Ula avilav, and the ones who were sad and mourning around them through their transgressions. And the next verse, bore, you see here that there is two versions of this word. There's a Cree and a Kativ, nov niv, right? That I, God, am going to create a niv svatayim. So in context, what do we think that Niv Svatayim means for it to make sense that God's saying God is creating for someone who has done repentance. Healing of the lips. What's that? Healing of the lips. Okay, it could be healing. Whose lips? The, 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 the one who had sinned. And so God, in, in what way is the one who sinned, who repented, being, getting healed lips from God? Yeah, Barry. So I forget which prophet it was at, 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 where coal, hot coal was put on the, on the lips and he's healed and now he can be cleaned. Who was who that? Well, that's, that's, a midrash, that's a midrash on Moshe that Pharaoh tried to... Uh, what's that? So, so it, 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 the, the idea is that the, the, the cleansing of one's self. So from then on, one is pure. Okay. 
other possibilities of just, just studying this, these verses of Isaiah, what might God mean when God says, regarding the one who repents, I, God, am borei nives fatayim. I am I'm creating a something of the lips. By the way, the, the next phrase might be a phrase that you've heard of in other contexts. Shalom, shalom, l'rachok v'lakarov. Creating peace and peace to those who are close, far and those who are close. Larry? This is, this is the opposite of what I think Rashi is saying. Okay. Instead of being harsh, um, condemning words, comforting words. And so Neev meaning um, be the opposite. a it softness. Be soft, yeah, it would yeah. be soft, you know, appealing, comforting, warm lips. I just want to comment, this is solo, solo. This is the Haftorah that we read Correct. on Yom Kippur morning. Correct. So look at Rashi on this verse, on Isaiah, on the screen, and then we'll see how we think he's using it. Um, Excuse me, I want to call my back. I'm getting inside. Um, but there has to be the, the admonition first. There has to be the response to that, and then there's the, the healing. So uh, look what Rashi says here. Um, again, on the verse in Isaiah, Borei Nives Fatayim. On the phrase, I got him creating whatever Niv means, he's trying to explain to it of his lips. I, God, in response to his having done tshuva, am creating a new method, approach, words coming out of lips. Whose lips? Not necessarily his lips. That... Against all of the yuckiness and the distress that was coming up in up to him up until this point, because he was doing uh, terrible things, Hakol Karu Alav Tagar. Everyone was saying about the person who had not yet repented, "What a sh what a schmutzy person, what a what a, what a terrible thing." And and the uh, analogy or the inference also, and that's what people were saying about Israel. Right? Look what a terrible nation they are. So there were calumnies, or maybe there are accurate things being said about the person. Ikarulo shalom shalom. Now all the people who are condemning a person are now going to be saying about that person, oh, this person is full, this person is peace, this person has done the right thing. So according to Rashi on the verse in Isaiah, borei nius means I, God, am going to make it so that there are new, there, there are new words coming out of other people's lips, lips, producing new language, praising the person, rather than condemning, praising the nation rather than condemning. What Neve means, according to Rashi here, is words or speech, creating new speech in response to the repentance. Okay, so back in our verse, when Rashi says that, that um, the, the word Navi comes from the word Neve as in Nisvatayim, the production of new words, of new, um, new speech. And then he gives us another example. Go ahead, Larry. Yanuv Chochmah. Okay, so I'm going to go to the next thing. This is from uh, Mishle, the book of Proverbs, chapter uh, 10, verse 31. Let's go to rearrange the screen a bit. Come on, move to the side. Oops. Um, go back a verse to get some context in the book of Proverbs. Tzadik leolam bal yimot. Someone who is a righteous person will never stumble. Urshaim lo yishkenu aretz. 
and if you're wicked, you'll never dwell in the land, if only that were the case. Pi tzadik yanuv chokma. The mouth of the righteous person, yanuv, there's our sound, there's a verb, will articulate, will it's, it's translated here as, um, uh, as produce new wisdom, ulashon tapuchot tikaret. But if, you, if your mouth is producing words of revolution, of, of treachery, it will be cut off. So here, um, in, in Isaiah, it was a noun, neve, suggesting words of lips. Here, it's a verb. It's the, it's the production of what comes out of the mouth. Okay? So, so the connections here are mouth, which is why Joanna's come from before, that the last time we had this, a scene like this, it was saying that Aaron will be a mouth, According to Rashi, that's what the word Navi means, a mouthpiece. Okay? Um, keep going, there's one more. Viechol mehit nabot. You didn't ask me to translate the last one, so don't ask me to translate this one. Okay. Um, you, let's look at this context. This is the first book of, of Shmuel, chapter 10, verse 13. Um, this is sort of self-explanatory, Vayichal mehit nabot, which interesting here is that the Aleph is not there. Normally you have in, um, when, a, when the word prophesy is used as a verb in Hebrew, the Aleph comes after the Bet. Here the Aleph is not there, which is kind of showing, Rashi is using his way of saying, see, nun Bet as a root, as a shorish, means to produce speech. Now this is, um, the translation here doesn't help us understanding Rashi, because the translation, it's going to get confusing, that I'm, it's on the screen, is already assuming that the best way of understanding the Hebrew word Navi in English is prophecy, speaking in tongues, speaking next to Rashi is saying you can understand the phrase just when he stopped talking, not necessarily when he stopped talking as, as what we think a prophet talks, just stopping talking. And the root nun bet niv nuv nav means new speech. So, going is, is back. This, isn't this the same? Let's talk about what to do first. Right? Yeah. You completed. So, I think also a major point of this phrase is stop because you completed. Right. To make something cold, right? Payachal means you. You got to the end of it and it was done, so you stopped. Yeah, but it doesn't mean to stop, it means to have completed. Okay. So, um, uh, putting this all together, in our verse, Rashi says, Reader, don't be alarmed that God is calling Aaron a prophet. He's saying this in his mind in French. It doesn't just mean he's a prophet, it means the one who. Silence yourself. Can you mute, Joanna, please? Uh, yeah. One second. I think she is muted. Okay. Um, now, Rashi, let me stop the share. Rashi says uh, one more thing, and then I'll share the screen again. Uvla az, korin lo, predikar. Okay. Um, what, what, any of those, what do any of those words mean? Well, we know that Rashi uses 
like loisie means in the, in the vernacular, he's talking about it in the, in the French vernacular. Right. So when he says loisie, he now is saying, we, it's so important for me, and this is, again, formatting matching content, for me, Rashi, to be your Navi reader, your Maturgaman, your rendering of these words into a language you understand, that if, if my turning it into Hebrew, a, a simpler Hebrew isn't enough, let me turn it into Old French, which doesn't help us. He wasn't thinking of it being Old French. He was thinking of his language of his students. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining your Rashi, and you say, "Let me t let me translate it into language course. you all speak here." Right. So, um, what Safaria is endlessly wonderful. On Safaria is the full Lawazi Rashi, meaning every time in the Tanakh and in the Talmud, in Rashi's entire commentary, <laughs> that he turns a word into Old French. You could just look it up on Safaria, right? If you if your knowledge of Old French isn't that good. Sometimes there's an obvious cognate, if you know a little bit of French English, sometimes less so. So this is entry 3073 uh, in um, Loaze Rashi. This reason why if you, you, if you think, feel like you haven't hit up against 3,000 of these so far in the seventh chapter of Exodus is because in Otsar Loaze Rashi, his Talmudic references become before his biblical references. So after all of the Talmudic references, this is now the biblical references. And <laughs> this is... Rashi's old French being translated into like maybe a modern understanding of French and modern Hebrew. So the word that we have is, we have a gimel in there, Fredigre, Fredigo, I don't know how to pronounce it in, in old French. In this version of Otsar Laze Rashi, it's written in Hebrew as if it's pronounced Freidavir, Freidere. It's turned into English letters, Predeo. And it's turned into Hebrew by the person who comprised this as Praklit. What's a Praklit? It's the prosecutor. Right. It's, it, it's, an, it's an attorney, right? It's the one who's making, and this is where we can connect them, an appeal. So look at, um, um, look at what it says here. So he thinks that the pro proper modern French is Pleideol. Right, the one who makes a plea, hatoen lifnei beit hadin, the one who makes a case in front of a, um, uh, I can't think of judge, a judge, a judge, a judge, a judge, no, but um, a court, right? Court. Lefachot ktav yadachad kotev. There's at least one uh, manuscript of Rashi that has it written as palkie prashir. I don't know what the what the but the proper translation of prashir is in Old French, but it's turned into Hebrew by this, this guy, melitz umetif. Melitz is the other word we have in the Bible for someone who stands between two people who don't understand each other and translates. Who was called, who, where did we have the melitz before? Remember? Yosef, right? When Yosef is being visited by his brothers and the brothers don't know that he understands uh, right, them, right, right, right. there's a melitz between them so that Yosef can pretend that he didn't understand them, right? So that's another he a biblical Hebrew way of saying uh, to translate from one word to a, um, uh, another word, another, from one language to another language, okay? So that was a lot of steps for Rashi to say. Rabbi. One second. I that was a lot of steps for Rashi to say um, that uh, Aaron will be your prophet. No. Aaron will be doing a lot of the speaking for you. He will be your renderer. He will be your translator. He'll be your interpreter. He'll be your mouthpiece. Yes, Rick. Uh, in my silver mouth, oh, I wanted, before you left that screen, 
Oh, okay. Uh, in my Silverman, it's got pray de, and there's a chaf there, not a gimel. I, I was at, I was going to ask if anybody else had it. It's I got pay resh yud dalad yud chaf, and then the chup chick, and then the resh. Yeah. Instead of the gimel there. And what I have is a gimel, and the one that he has, and the screen is with neither a gimel nor a. No, I see the I see the gimel on the second of the last line. Uh, and uh, the last line, right. yeah, there you got a gimel there, but I was going to ask you what the chaf might be, or if that's a typo. I don't know enough about old French to know if it's a typo. It, this is this is Rashi and editors of Rashi trying to figure out the best French word in using English letters to to represent what Rashi was saying. Yeah, yeah, uh, the the English translation, uh, it's old French. We call him predicar. P-R-E-D-I-C-A-R. I have that in my translation of the Rashi. Okay. Credit car. Just thought I'd throw that in. Me too. I have the same thing. So this is a linguistic problem, right? Um, if you think about the ch sound, the k sound, and the g sound are all very close in your mouth. And so the the linguistic sound could be something in between there and it's just a an editorial decision about which letter you use that's all right to wit hanukkah right i mean there are at least eight ways to transliterate that i mean there's actually one way to transliterate according to the the, the formal scholarship that has agreed on the best way to render um hebrew into american english right which is different than well, that, they would disagree with it. They would say that a chet is always rendered as an H with a, with a line or a dot, because what is a chet? A chet is a guttural hey, so that it should be an H that's impacted by that, whereas a, a chaf is a softened cuff, which means a chaf should always be translated as KH. But just because some group of uh, linguistic scholars said it doesn't mean that's the way it's done. You'll see Hanukkah translated many different ways, and I'm sure you'll you would see whatever French word Rashi was referring to translated uh, into many different renderings in Hebrew letters. All right, I see a chat. I see a hand up uh, on the screen, and then a hand up around the tables. Hold on a second. Gamal, right? Exactly right. Uh, Gamal and Camel are etymologically the same word. The 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 G. Sometime, uh, you know, transformed into a, a C, a Shira Ladonai Kigamal Alai. Renee. Um, and we were, you were talking about the word predicator in my. You muted. Oh, sorry. In my book, it says that the modern French predicator means preacher. Preacher. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that adds, I don't know if that's what Rashi meant, but that certainly adds some color and I, I i guess preacher in the sense of like demonstrative orator right mm -hmm. uh stevie and then i see larry um so a few minutes ago larry uh, meant, uh brought up the possibility that that aaron was more familiar with hebrew language and then rashi and i guess this manuscript might have uh, meant uh translator um the in so earlier back in chapter four we had Moses complaining um Kaved Peva Kaved Lashon and uh I just looked it up but it because it took me a while to find it but in chapter three of Ezekiel we have the phrase 
Amki Safev Akaved Lashon, Akavdi Lashon, and it's and in, in that context, God is saying, uh, or Ezekiel saying that, or God what, Ezekiel, what's, the, what's the chapter verse? Chapter three, verses five and six. It's in both. Give, give me one second to pull yeah. up so people can follow um, along. Yeah, God is saying the Israelites. It's not the case that they don't know your language. They're not listening to you just because they're not listening to you, right? Um, and it, so in, in context, it's very explicitly di disentangling their willingness to listen to you and their ability to understand your words. So, in a, so that phrase, has to mean different language. So could be interpreted that way, and some scholars do. Say that one more time. So in... In Ezekiel, the words uh, has to mean speaking a different language because God is saying it's not the case that they speak a different language. It's only the case that they're not listening to you. Right. Um, if you continue on, you know, the, on the verse 7 or so. Mm -hmm. um, right. So they're they're refusing to listen to you, but not because they don't understand your language. So that phrase has to mean language. So kaved peve kaved which was in chapter four of Exodus, one of the one of the times that Moses says, you know, don't use me, use someone else. Mm. Um, and then God says, I'll bring Aaron along, right? So in at least in that phraseology, it could very or it it it's fairly reasonable to say that Moses is complaining about a language barrier. Got it. But uh, Larry, Diane, and Barry. First, you've given up on Eitz Chaim. Because if you go to Eitz Chaim, you'll see that I haven't actually, given up. I just, only so I, many things I can look at simultaneously. Go ahead. Right. It actually has the same, um, uh, the, the same word that, I forget somebody said, but it's pretty pretty car or something like that. But then there's a note, and the note says that you should that we should look at um, Ibn Ezra. And then I looked at Ibn Ezra. I can't find this reference to P Ha'aroch, but you probably understand what that is. But then I looked at Ibn Ezra, and then I cheated, so I looked at Ibn Ezra in Hebrew, and I'm not sure, and I don't think you probably want to go into it, but I think that Ibn Ezra is disagreeing with Rashi here. I may be wrong. But there's a very long Ibn Ezra, it's the third Ibn Ezra there um, on, this, on this verse. And um, he takes a long time to, to look at the difference between the root nun bet, nun, yeah, nun, nun bet and the root... Um, nun bet aleph. Nun bet aleph. Right. So what I, what I was saying before, is that, and I maybe should have said it stronger, is that Rashi's ling... Rashi's substantive claim is is more believable than his etymological claim. His substantive claim that what's going on here is that Aaron is being set up as a spokesperson makes contextual sense. It's a harder claim for Rashi to make, which is why I think he's working hard to make it, that the root, Navi, means to speak as opposed to give prophecy. And what Ibn Ezra, that, that reference, if you're looking at the Torah Chaim, that, that kind of starred footnote 25, a uh, Ibn Ezra, that pe yud means perush, perush ha'aroch. There are, 
there are, there's a long and a short version of Ibn Ezra, and sometimes the long one is not longer than the short one on a particular, on a particular verse. And if you, you can see there are like 11 lines there, and I'm not going to go through it all, but if you look halfway through, for those who are, oh, this I could actually probably pull up. Hold on one second, because it's worth showing. Um, Share the screen. It's still so clunky to do this all in real time. All right, Tanakh, we're in Exodus chapter 7. Is this verse 2? Verse 1, Ibn Ezra. It's amazing you can do this while talking to us. <laughs> I don't think it's clunky, Rob, but you're showing us how to use Safari. I think it's a great thing. Okay, I, I, I accept. Um, but you got to do it yourself. You just got to learning by doing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so this should be, so we're not going to um, um, look at the whole thing, but the first thing he says is, Mi gizrat he's quoting Rashi there. This is from the root, nivsvatayim. And he says, usually we're used to Ramban saying this, no, it's just not right. Ki shoresh niv miha shni'im. And if you look down below, um, Ki ha'alef shoresh. According to Ibn Ezra, who was a real grammatical stickler, in the Hebrew word navi, nun, bet, yud, aleph, the root aleph is part of it. And that actually plays out in verbs. Linnabe means to prophesy, which is why, as mentioned before, Rashi brought us to a verse in the book of Samuel that did not have the aleph there. And he was trying to make the claim that it's the, it's the same word. So you're right, Ibn Ezra is disagreeing with Rashi, not necessarily in content, but in etymology. Yeah. Okay. Diane and then Barry. Oh, I have a hard stop at 925 today, so we're going to stop five minutes early today. My apologies. So something Stevie said sort of rang a bell for me about people not listening. So maybe if you go back to the verse itself, Pharaoh sees himself as a god. So who is a god going to listen to? Certainly not going to listen to a mere man. Mm. He's only going to listen to another god. Mm. So Moshe, in fact, is acting as a god, but, but Moshe is also speaking to the Egyptian people. And who's speaking to the people the is Aaron, yeah. the prophet. So maybe this is like a division of roles. Yes, yeah, someone said something similar last week that 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 maybe this is is God setting up Moshe and Aaron to confront Pharaoh in the only way that Pharaoh recognizes being confronted, which is a god in human form. And which case, Rosemary said that, which means that all of these jumping through hoops to try to figure out what else Elohim and Navi could mean maybe work that we don't need to do. Maybe it's exactly what it means. You, to Pharaoh, you're going to be like a god, and yeah, and Aaron's going to be the prophet, the way we understand those words in English. Barry and then Stevie? So I, I'm going back and uh, thinking again, Joanna, for bringing this up uh, in uh, uh, 416, and that echia im picha im pichu. So God's going to be God will be with, with, with Moshe, but God's going to be directly with, with Aaron. So uh, Aaron is just not a mechanical spokesperson. Uh, Aaron is in a, in a, in a, in a prophet mode uh, as Moshe. They're, they have two distinct roles. Yeah. Stevie, and then I see Rick's hand up. Just to say that uh, we often think about priests and prophets in 
you know, later Israelite history as being very different roles, often in tension with each other, with the prophets, you know, saying that you priests are, you know, being too uh, focused on details or, you know, not, not on ideas or enough. And anyway, um, but that in this sort of introduction to Aaron, we see that he's not just the priest, but he also plays the role of a prophet. Um, and that the, so there's, there's some sort of uh, boundary blurring in some, or at least there's supposed to be some sort of boundary blurring in, in how these roles are initiated. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure if I, understand, if I know the etymology of the word prophet and why the, why the English word prophet means what it means. And I wonder if there's something deep in that etymology that makes us, helps us understand what it used to mean. Um, so I'll show this on the screen. Um, prophet, Old English, profeta, from the Latin, be a Latin from Greek, prophetess, interpreter, expounder. So that's really interesting. So even our English word prophet doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means when we use it simply, which is the one who's the one who transmits God's word, but it's more elementary than that. It's Neves Fatayim. It, it's the one producing uh, and interpreting what has been um, said. And I never realized that the pro and prophet is connected to before, fetes speaker. Oh, like phonetics. Interesting. Prophet. Yes. Uh, I don't know whose hand was up. I forgot whose hand was up, but Larry, go ahead. Oh, Rick, Rick. Sorry, Rick. Hi, uh, I was just going to agree with Diane. Uh, the Elohim is Lefaro, but the Nebiecha isn't specifically towards Pharaoh. So it could be Pharaoh and the people. Yeah. So um, th there's a direction for one of the, the nouns, but not the other one. It's just open-ended. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you for that, Rick. Larry, and we will get to the next verse. Except, except, um, um, going, going against what, what both Diane and Rick just said, the next verse is going to tell us exactly the opposite. You can't do that, Larry. But I did want to say also that uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Lord or prophet? Um, maybe a, I don't know if he's a prophet because he made a point. He, he, he often defines prophet and he reminds us that a prophet is not someone who's foretelling the future. The prophet is someone who's telling us that we should not live that future. Correct. He, he wants us to, he wants to change the future by having us change our ways. Right, and who, was it Rashi who said, right, to off, offering words of rebuke, right? right. The person who announces the words of rebuke so that the future is not inevitable, so that your negative future is not inevitable. Yeah. Except, and maybe this goes to different sources, when we read the next verse, we're gonna see that I don't think the point was ever to actually get Pharaoh to change his way. Yeah. I mean, however you want to interpret this. So in that sense, he's not a prophet in the Jonathan Sachs sense of being a prophet. Well, certainly when we get to the Rashi in the next verse, which you probably won't get to today, it'll start bringing up some very uncomfortable and interesting uh, discussions that we're going to have for weeks and months as we keep coming back to the notion of Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart. So let's jump into that verse. Let's go to verse 2 of chapter 7. Uh, Carol, do you want to read? Okay, 
Now, before Carol translates, for the moment, forget the last 40 minutes that we just discussed, not because it's not interesting, but it'll become more interesting really when we get to verse 3, and let's just isolate this verse on its own and see what questions pop up just on this verse. Okay, translate. Uh, you will speak all that I will command you, mm -hmm. and Aaron, your brother, will speak to Pharaoh, uh, and he will send the people of Israel from his land. Good. So you, you correctly rendered Veshilach, and he will send the word he does not appear. There's no pronoun who, but in a, in a, in a past and future tense in Hebrew, even when it's been vavayipucht into the opposite, you don't need the pronoun to be clear who is speaking. And the he here is not God, because God is the one speaking. The he is God's predicting that Pharaoh will dispatch the Israelites from his land, right? from his land. Okay, so this verse on its own merits. Um, questions or comments? Well, now Moshe is speaking everything, and there's, there's not as much of a mention of the mitargem. Okay, so, so if we read this verse, forgetting the Rashi we read in the previous verse, but just flowing from the previous verse itself, we, we, this verse almost seems to be an interpretation, haha, a targum of the previous verse. When God said to Moses, you're going to be God-like, Elohim-like, and Aaron is going to be your prophet, what it means is you're going to speak and Aaron's going to speak. Right, which is interesting because, in some ways, this verse is saying that you and Aaron are doing the same thing, and that's the piece that Rashi is going to pick up on. Um, Larry and then Barry. Can I talk about the last four four words? Yeah, yeah. So there's a really clear distinction in interpretation here in the translations, and I've only looked at three translations. So JPS says that. Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh to let the Israelites depart. So in other words, that's what Aaron's going to say. But both Alter and um, Arya um, Kaplan have, um, sorry, and Aaron, your brother, will speak to Pharaoh, comma, and he, meaning Pharaoh, will send off the Israelites from the land. Like a prediction. Like a prediction. And Arya Kaplan says the same thing. Um, and Aaron will relate it to Pharaoh, period. He will then let then, he will then, meaning Pharaoh, will then let the Israelites leave the land. Th those two translations are at odds with one another. They, can't be, they cannot be um, ra you know, rationalized right. together. We dealt with this, if you want to look back, at, on 6.13, uh, mitzvah, mitzvah verse, the last, Ali, the last verse of uh, the first Aliyah before we got to the genealogy. Remember, we've talked several times, how many different scenes are we in? According to Rashi, the scene that we're in right now today is the same scene that we were in in 613. It just got interrupted by the genealogy. God said, spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a command. El is weird here. We just spent a lot of time on it. It's not to the people of Israel, but with respect to Biel Paro and to Pharaoh, Melech Mitzrayim, Lehotzi et Bene Yisrael Meretz Mitzrayim. It's an infinitive. To send them out? Is it in order that Pharaoh? Is that, that it will, will happen? Is, it, it, it's hard to know exactly how to connect prepositionally 
what God is telling Moses and Aaron to say to Pharaoh, and, 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 the, and the dispatching of the Israelites will happen as a result of that. It's similarly ambiguous here. Everett Fox translates our verse here as, you are to speak all that I command you, and Aharon, your brother, is to speak to Pharaoh so that he may send free, so that he may send free the children of Israel from his land. So not a prediction, but the reason I'm sending you so that you do your little magic and the result of your doing the magic is hopefully that he will be, that he will um, send them free. Barry and then Linda Rebecca, and then we're probably going to uh, close because I have a hard stop that I'm about to go over. Barry? So just taking this literally here, uh, uh, Moshe is going to speak. It doesn't say speak to whom. Uh, Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. So um, Moshe's role is to, to, to speak what he hears from God, but he's, he's not speaking necessarily to Pharaoh. Aharon is speaking to, to Pharaoh. Right. So whereas verse 2 says that both Moshe and Aaron are doing the same action, speaking, you're right to pick out that only Aaron is the one speaking directly to Pharaoh here, which might be influencing, but might, might have influenced Rashi to understand Navi in the previous verse to be an interpreter, a translator. So the, well, this goes back again to this original in, in uh, earlier verse. Uh, God is, is a direct to, to Aaron. God's speaking to Moshe. Moses can speak what God's saying to whom we don't know. Uh, then God's speaking is a is a uh, to Aaron's lips, and Aaron's going to speak to Pharaoh. So it, it, Aaron is not necessarily repeating what he hears from Moshe. Right, and we'll hear what Rashi says to that next week. Leonard, Rebecca, last comment of the day. Yeah, I was going to say something similar to what Barry just said. So then it leaves room since it doesn't say who Moshe is speaking to. Maybe Moshe speaks privately to Aaron before they even go before Pharaoh. Or maybe Moshe makes a declaration to the children of Israel. And then Aaron makes the same declaration to Pharaoh. So I'm going to speak to you. You'll do some strategizing. And then when it comes to the actual confrontation, Aaron is the speaker. Aaron is the peh. Aaron is the navi. Something like that. Good place to stop. We'll pick up with a Rashi on that next week. Have a good week, everybody. And since Purim is between now and then, Chag Purim Sameach. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.